0: Welcome to TSG Talk. TSG Talk aims to contribute positively towards the care of an injured casualty or vulnerable patient. If your goal is to maximise your input for the people you care for, then TSG Talk is for you. Our podcast will interview colleagues who are at the cutting edge of their professions. Often they're involved in creating solutions for areas that historically have proven difficult, or have a wealth of experience in a particular complex response. Each podcast will provide unique, engaging content. At TSG Associates, we will always strive to ensure our solutions are ahead of the curve and positively impact on the quest for prioritising survival and minimising suffering. We believe TSG Talk will complement our vision and provide a platform to enhance your response. It is my pleasure to now pass you across to our host, senior partner at TSG, Colin Smart.
1: Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of our podcast TSG Talk: Delivering Medical Assistance to Ukraine. The war in Ukraine has produced a huge requirement for medical assistance. And to understand what the priority needs are and the dynamics of delivering it, we're privileged tonight to talk with Adam Ghent. Adam has recently returned from an aid mission to the region. So good evening, Adam. How are you? How are you this evening? I'm exceptionally well. Thank you very much,
2: and thank you for having me on the show.
1: No, it's an absolute pleasure, and I'm really looking forward to um, hear, hearing your your story of the the mission that that you were on. Um, Adam, just just before we we go into a few more questions on on the actual mission you were on, could you just give our listeners um, just just a little bit of a background behind your history and how you got into Um, emergency medicine, and then maybe just maybe give us a little bit of an outline of the the mission that you were on to deliver the aid to Ukraine.
2: Sure. Yeah, so I run Real First Aid, a first aid training organisation which specialises in the, the design and delivery of training courses principally aimed at those who work or sometimes play in remote or high hazard environments. Uh, I started my career many, many years ago in the outdoor industry. I was working with young people in the outdoors and occasionally leading trips abroad. And through this, I realized the majority of first aid training just isn't appropriate once you're outside of an office or a domestic setting. So that really piqued my interest in remote first aid and healthcare. And over the years, I've worked across the world, uh, including Ukraine a couple of times, Borneo, Tajikistan, Dubai, uh, much of Europe, and I've been really lucky to work with some very interesting people who do interesting things in interesting places. And as you say, last month, I was involved with an aid mission, delivering equipment to the Ukraine. The, uh, the organisation uh, is called Fire Aid, and they're like an umbrella uh, organisation, which supports lots of different regional fire service charities. So collectively, they've got got quite a bit of might. I was part of a convoy which took 25 vehicles, Land Rovers, fire tenders uh, and fire support appliances uh, to uh, the Poland-Ukraine border. I was in the second deployment out of three. So in total, there were over 60 fire appliances which had been donated from fire services around the country.
1: So that's a big old convoy that you were on, by the sounds of it.
2: It was a big convoy. There were uh, so there were twenty-five vehicles and about sixty people in total, uh, three people per vehicle to you know alternate uh, driving, uh, and we're driving for most of the day each day. So it was a big drive, yeah, um, five or six days, pretty much uh, non-stop. And that was you no, know, that was really the the role I was there was to support the people involved with it. Okay, a large
1: contingent. No, I, I mean it sounds an absolutely wonderful um, um, mission that you were on to deliver this, and uh, and obviously hu- hugely needed for you know the, the the sad events that are going on on at the moment. Just um, can you can you describe a little bit for us as you get closer to that the to the border of Ukraine? D- does do you get a feel for the difference in atmosphere? Are you meeting refugees? What or, or were you in a more sort of sort of passive zone? Was there? Was, did you did you get to feel sure any difference? Yeah,
2: so, so from the <laughs> offset um you know, i need to, to make it clear that i wasn't in any hostile environment we weren't in, in the hot zone um if you like we weren't as far as the as the border but even there you know a thousand kilometers away from, from the front line um it, it it was palpable you know throughout um poland you know you would you'd meet you come across um uh displaced people refugees and uh, the you know the, the, it was just palpable the whole uh, need for help and assistance with signage and demonstrations as you got closer so despite being a long way from uh, from the spearhead you, you picked up those atmosphericics yeah. very, very very quickly
1: yeah and and you know from your experience of of delivering the aid that that you did and and, and the feedback you'll have probably got from it as well is, is there any specific areas that you you feel that, that are, are, in and, and I, I can imagine there's a massive spectrum that needs assistance, but was there anything in particular that you found that th- there was a real gap that, that you know, yeah. when you delivered or two, we could, we could help with in the future?
2: Sure, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really, I mean, it's, it's a huge spectrum of needs uh, across the country, but you could, you could quite easily put them into two sets of need, really. So when you think about conflict zones, we naturally think of the trauma, and certainly, there have been many injured and killed, but the larger need is very much humanitarian need. So, the the stats I've got in front of me that are pretty current um, just over 4,000 people have been killed in this conflict, and nearly 300 of them have been children, and over 5,000 injured, and over 400 of those have been children. So, we're looking at uh, Close to ten thousand people who've been killed or injured as a direct conflict of war, and that's that's very much the trauma um, that's needed. You know, the, the managing catastrophic Cambridge blood force trauma, burns, things like this. But aside from those ten thousand, who are very tip of the spear, more than four point six million people have fled Ukraine, and that makes it the fastest growing humanitarian crisis in modern times. Ninety percent of these are women and children. So there are two very different needs. You've got the needs within the hot zone, if you like the air is in active conflict and then you've got the need to the displaced communities which are quite different when we talk about blast injuries um a singular blast injury event we often talk about uh, the five sequential impacts that the casualty receives so your primary injury is the blast wave that that fast more moving wall of air uh and people who are exposed to that are probably going to die very quickly and they'll die of things like Blast lung, um, abdominal hemorrhage, and uh, perforation, and a significant head injury, but interestingly, not with necessary, very visual or graphic injuries uh, on the outside. And that'll kill you pretty quickly. And then you have your secondary injury, and that's the fragmentation. So, if the blast wave didn't cause you harm, what it's carrying, things like broken glass, debris, shrapnel, they now become uh, projectiles. So, you have very, uh, some of the injury patterns to ballistics, so things like penetrating injuries uh, and external bleeding. Our tertiary injury—that's when uh, that's indirect impact. So, so the casual has been thrown up against a wall or um, falling masonry, fallen timbers. So, as we get further away, the injuries become less direct. And these sort of injuries, things like, like m- massive fracture, um, traumatic amputation, blunt force injuries, chest injuries. These are likely to kill you and will probably take you a slightly longer period of time and then we have the quaternary injury so these are like the the byproducts um, that we're exposed to from blast heat light uh, toxin so casualties will sustain things like burns um, dust inhalation smoke inhalations toxic fumes. And so you've got these these series of impacts that we talk about in terms of blast injury. And those first four, they're the sort of things that people will be experiencing in the areas of active conflict. And that's where the trauma need is. We've also got this quintenary impact uh, that is, is a relatively new concept. And this is looking much further down the timeline at those nearby who have survived the initial blast. And this is issues of primary healthcare. Things like chronic pain, the need for regular medicines, malnutrition, dehydration, sanitation, infection. As we see, it's not actually the blast that has caused the issues now. What has happened is the breakdown of infrastructure. Um, and that's where the humanitarian need is. Every, the simple stuff, you know down to you know women's sanitary products um, and baby food so they're really the two needs you've got the very acute need for trauma and then you've got your primary health care need for a much wider population
1: yeah and, and i think what's interesting from the the primary health care that you were talking about is uh, the number you said 4.6 million people have been displaced um that's a big population just to keep healthy isn't it um, it, it is.
2: It's, it's almost you know, too too difficult to comprehend how many people moving away from uh, from their communities and and where they're going to be going. What, what will their living conditions be like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's almost unimaginable.
1: Yeah, I mean the sheer scale of it is it's very very hard to get your head around. I mean just just looking at that four point six million people who have displaced. I mean, was there any feeling about was there any prevalent communicable diseases that were getting picked up? Or anything like that? Was did, Not did you come necessarily
2: to- as, as far as as uh, where we were? Mm-hmm. Um, no, thanks largely due mm-hmm. to, to the support and hospitality of neighbouring countries who are who have been able to absorb that that massive. Influx of people, um, but certainly as you get closer, you'll you know you'll have issues of things like typhoid, um, waterborne um, illnesses because of um, a breakdown in in sanitation and poor personal hygiene, um, drinking dirty water, um, eating food that's no longer being able to be kept fresh. So it's, it's those sort of communicable diseases that will be um, in, in like the warm zone, if you like.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think what I'm getting from talking to you on those numbers, and and I find very interesting, is that there is a massive requirement for the the primary trauma equipment, but the sheer the sheer, absolutely
2: Sorry. massive so, yeah. so we yeah. we sometimes supply medkit to uh to our clients I and mean, we, we sell stuff on the website but i've taken a sabbatical now and i've just closed the shop down for any med kit um we i've just sent off eight bags uh that are going out of the country and um speaking, speaking to manufacturers people like Salox and north american rescue this conflict has led to a massive massive shortage of kit and the information i'm getting back not, not from from retailers or from distributors but from manufacturers is not to expect certain products in the uk until september
1: yeah i can tell you're you not wrong on that when being a manufacturer myself um i mean it's on a it's on a side issue all the supply chains have not really recovered from COVID. And, and then right. the, up, the uplift on the primary trauma kits and, and, you know, like our extract stretches that are associated with that and the triage systems. Sure. It's, I have never seen anything like it. So you, you're trying to deal with a massive uplift of real need, uh, but with supply chains that are, are absolutely all over the place. Um, uh, yeah. And 100%. it's very difficult. Yeah, it, it's, it's just it's, it's not an easy one to deal with. Um, you no,
2: know, as part of the convoy, as well as sending over the vehicles, where possible, we we stack those vehicles with with med kit um, that was uh, incredibly kindly donated um, by families and friends, by fundraisers, and also by some fairly large uh, companies. Um, who their generosity was was incredible. Then the vast majority of the stuff that we sent over there was stuff that was in date. It was sealed. It wasn't you no know, by any stretch of the imagination um, no poor quality charitable donations of expired meds <laughs> all good quality stuff
1: that's good no i can see that the, the sheer volume of that and then that's again the, the the secondary you talked about is that is this is this displaced population of 4.6 million the sheer volume of consum- medical consumables that must take is it's just beyond comprehension really isn't it i should say all the way down from sanitary uh, uh, products yeah. through to the whole plethora of primary health care it's, yeah. it's, and, and happened so quickly as when so, you know, the ramp up was so quick to, you know, from not having a war to having a, a full intensity war in Europe, wasn't it? It's um it all yeah. happened very quickly. Yeah. So just, this, I think what I'm getting from this is just the sheer scale. Um And it's difficult when you watch the, the, the news in the UK, you know, it's big. But when you start yeah. talking about the 4.6 million people displaced, the number of people who have been killed and injured, you, you're starting to get a feel for the sheer size of what it is we're, we're trying to trying to assist with. That, that's what I think I'm I'm picking up from what you're saying. It's it's Absolutely. huge. Yeah,
2: it, it it is huge, and it's not it's not getting, getting any smaller. Um, I was reading an article uh, that frustrated me. Great. And when when it all kicked off, you know, all we had in the news, and quite rightly so, was was the conflict, and we were watching it unfold day by day across all media channels, and it's massively dropped off. And I was, I was reading some stats comparing what's being reported about it now compared to the uh, Brad Pitt and Amber Heard trial. Uh, which is all over Instagram and social media, and you think, really, you know, mm-hmm. we need some context because Ukraine isn't getting any better; it's getting mm-hmm. worse. Mm-hmm. We're just reporting less. It's, you know, it's no longer interesting, I suppose. For some, but it is a problem that will get worse um, before it gets better.
1: Yeah, no, and, 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 and yeah, I agree with you. Uh, pr- probably a probably a subject for another podcast one day. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> before I get too high on my political soapbox.
1: There we go. Um, so, just looking at the. The, the, the mission that you you were part of was there any specific stories that that you you um, you experienced when you're out there that 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 you would like to tell our listeners that, that they might learn something any any unique experiences at all?
2: Um, I, I'm going to disappoint to a, to a degree. I suppose the most noticeable incident was. The absolute lack of incidents. Um, it, it would kind of been great to come back with tales of daring do and heroism. Back, you know, if, if you're that busy, then then someone's made a mistake along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so the risk profile of of the aid project was incredibly low, and we performed a thorough risk assessment uh, beforehand. So we knew that it wouldn't be um, anything particularly challenging. And when I was talking to members of the team prior to deployment, and certainly to friends and colleagues before we left. Uh, the whole idea of going away to do things like this is very exciting and whilst of course there is an element of danger we need to balance the perceived dangers from the real dangers and so when we're traveling abroad things like snake bite and terrorism and ids they're, they're really high on our social radars, and they are undoubtedly serious but they're actually incredibly rare so they're high hazard but low risk and your, your preparedness should be commensurate with that. Now, we all get excited about catastrophic hemorrhage, tourniquets and, and subox, but if it's not on your agenda, you know, why are you carrying 12 tourniquets and 48 chest seals? Um, and so when people ask me what I was taking in my sexy black tactical ninja mystery ranch medic bag, other medic bags do exist, available, um, um, I joke that it was rammed full of paracetamol plasters and tampons because that really was the risk profile. Mm. And, and obviously I had more than that. But it was all low-level primary healthcare stuff. So during the week, you know, we handed out paracetamol uh, for headaches and antihistamines for hay fever and the odd insect bite and unfortunately some him to one unlucky chap. Um, but none of it is glamorous and sexy, which I think, you know, we have this, this romantic idea of mm. being being a medic. But that's life, you know, to know your remit. That, I suppose that, that's something for the listeners to learn. You, know, you can be the most skilled, proficient, you know, black belt eighth dan ninja tactical combat medic on earth but when someone turns to you and said oh i've got terrible indigestion do do you have any renee and all you can offer them is a tourniquet from your ankle ulster well that's kind of your credibility in tatters and and conversely entering the hot zone with nothing but plasters and tuber grip probably also is a pretty poor judgment call um so that was really reinforced um my my understanding of, of a preparedness is you know what are you preparing for and it isn't all crash bang and chainsaws
1: yeah you know what i, I really can't agree I, I i can't agree more than what you've just it just it hits the nail on the head to the life of a remote medic um yeah, yeah. i think if i was to look, to look back at my career um 90 percent primary healthcare. Yeah,
2: um, absolutely. But um, it's, it's not the stuff that we talk about, mm. you know. Um, whether you're taking a group climbing in um, in the Himalayas or paddling down some virgin river um, in India, or you're drilling um, offshore, or um, providing, you know, um, private security in in, um, in the oil and gas, or or, or, um, or the TV and film industry, when when we're doing the job we're acutely aware of what we're doing. So accidents are incredibly low. The singly, the most likely injury or accident, anyone's going to stay in a trucking board, is a car accident. Because when we're not doing the job, when we're driving to and from, that's where we get complacent. And we've all done this before. Um, when we're on expedition, um, I can honestly say I have never applied a chest seal to um, a second chest wound in anger
1: ever yeah yeah,
2: but yeah i cannot tell you how many times i've had to deal with vomiting and diarrhea utis you know that that you know on a can i swear on this mildly okay. <laughs> yes so yes absolutely on exhibition yeah. shit happens you know, yeah it, it yeah. really does but yeah. we love to talk and and promote about catastrophic hemorrhage and and uh tension pneumothoraxes yeah. when actually really if you in my opinion and i'm getting very um very why are you spending all your time going on courses, looking at doing needle decompression when you won't spend half an hour online just doing some CPD on skin conditions?
1: Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right in what you're saying, and certainly my experience is, is, is the same as. But I, I think what also I bring out from what you're saying is is very very good preparation research will tell you where you have to focus, and I suppose if I was to advise anybody working, you know, or looking to work remote, or, or, I, I haven't done aid missions, but along those same lines, is that if you can get your research and your preparation right, you'll end up with the right stuff. Yes, um, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think if you go, if you set yourself up on what your perception is, um, based on the the media inputs and, sure. and 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 all the information we get fed in from, from all the various, you know, from the social media, from from the regulated media, yeah, that will give you a certain amount of information, but actually it might completely displace what it is you actually need to do. Um, And and I I do honestly think going back to what you said, working in remote locations, it tends to be keeping people healthy. Um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And not just even treating the disease you get, the prevention of the communicable disease, um, you know, Yes. Uh, you know, so uh, I think you're bringing it a really good point. So it's not all whizzes and bangs. Yeah, um, thankfully,
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why people yearn for that. I'd hate to be in that environment. Sounds horrendous. <laughs> <You
1: know? laughs> well. Um, it makes for good stories, doesn't it? it? It does. It does. And I think, there, are, you know, as you said, if your preparation tells you that's where you're going, then, then that's where you put your weights off equipment and yes. your preparation and your training on. If your preparation tells you you're going into a primary health care uh, response that's where you're going to put your preparation in, isn't it? So I think that's really important because you're right. A lot of these aid missions, uh, although it's going to be supporting a conflict zone, is actually supporting the wider population, which is a different dynamic to supporting combat, combat activities, isn't it? So I think it's knowing where you're going, isn't it? And, being duly prepared for the sector that you think you're heading for isn't it yeah with the ability to change your plan as and when required (laughs) that's
2: often the way yeah often
1: the way yeah no that that's 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 really interesting um so if any of our listeners wanted to get involved to to try and help out this situation um and i suppose there's always good aid and bad aid isn't there you know but these these zones require be, certain yeah. things and certain skills and certain yes. input and they certainly don't require other things which can actually clog the systems up 100%. Where, where, where would you where would, is there anything you would any um, organization or any direction you, you could suggest um, that they look at
2: yeah i would it, it's, it's interesting when when it um all kicked off. The first thing I did was go to um, the International Cross and MSF and, and the usual uh, large organizations. And I found it interesting that they weren't actively deploying um, volunteers to the area. Uh, and I'm not going to speculate on why, um, but that would normally be your first port of call. When it comes to volunteering, It if you're volunteering in a medical capacity, and I'm incredibly privileged because I'm not a registered healthcare professional, um, that's really who who organizations like that are after they're after registered doctors nurses and paramedics and for good reason um so there's demand there um uh, there is much less of demand if you're not a registered healthcare professional um i know that uh internationalmedicalrelief.org, they are actively recruiting at the moment and i'm sure we could put in some links in the show notes
1: yes absolutely
2: uh, and yeah. I, I can send you a couple more so there are people who are actively looking for medics to deploy when it comes to volunteering with an organization regardless of what capacity because there's also a need for, for logistics for drivers um new interpreters things like this um it is fundamental that you do your due diligence on the organization you're traveling with um the organization that we uh that we we're on uh, was organized by fire aid which has credibility because of its credibility the project was backed by the home office and that in itself was reassuring so if anything went wrong there were repatriation protocols um it meant that when we got to borders border controls were incredibly easy if you imagine having 25 vehicles with 60 people that's a lot of passports to check um but because of that top level cover it made um, just little things like that incredibly easy. Um, it meant that we had uh, police escorts in certain cities, which meant moving a convoy and keeping the convoy together was also easy. So do your due diligence on who you're traveling with. Um, I've, I've spoken to a couple of people over the years and they've got great plans of going somewhere exciting and they're all fought. And, and the minute you say, that's great. Can you do me a Can you just send me a copy of your risk assessment and your medical repatriation plan and all of a sudden that's it radio silence you know that that, that should set alarm bells ringing so there are opportunities for volunteers not just in the uh healthcare volunteers uh, but they tend to be limited for registered healthcare professionals but also in, in logistics but look at who your organ who that organization is and what's their provenance. um you can also contact uh the diplomatic missions within the Ukraine, so embassies, consulates, um, you know, the UK or um, your, your own your own country, um, depending on who's listening to this and where they're listening to it. Um, the Ministry of Health of Ukraine have information online and we can share a link to that about what their specific requirements are. You mentioned there's good aid and there's bad aid, but the best aid is giving people what they need, what we think they need. Uh, so volunteering is is, a, is an option. Donations are super important. We've spoken about the, the problem with the supply chain. So any kit that, that can be spared is useful. And again, the whole good aid versus, uh, versus bad aid. It's much more effective to support existing operations than have lots of smaller splinter movements all trying to do the same thing badly. And there are organisations that are publicising themselves that are already have convoys planned to go so you know are you actually helping or hindering if you're going to load your car up and drive yourself with your friend when actually it would be much more efficacious to just give this kit to someone who's already got the wheels in motion so donations is a way fundraising is a way um again lots of organizations doing this again do your due diligence on who you're giving your uh, money to and what i'd also say to anyone who's interested in deploying with a humanitarian humanitarian aid uh mission is stay informed and i mean properly informed just because it's on the internet does not mean to say it's true you know i love instagram i love social media but it is not a credible source of information um linkedin has been really good there's an organization called the institute for the study of war and they post regularly on linkedin they probably give the best briefings regular briefings on the russia ukraine conflict at the moment um Al Jazeera is, is my go-to news app. I stopped um you know watching mainstream media, uh BBC channel 4 ITV um, a long time ago. But Al Jazeera have give really good um insight into the situation. Uh and Reuters is also a really good news app. The the benefit of both Al Jazeera and Reuters is they just present what is happening without the commentary, with you know, that it's so open to interpretation and and, uh, and favouring a, a particular readership.
1: So, yeah, so, so do your research. Yeah, no, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think what I'm picking up from you on, on, on your reply to the question, and, and, and I absolutely agree with you, is supplying aid is a very, very professional occupation, isn't it? Um, and when you're supplying it to such massive need you know your 4.6 million people displaced it needs high levels of organization and logistics and in my experience on it there are some very very well sophisticated organizations do this they know what they need they know what to deploy and and i think the more we can feed those people like your meds on frontiers uh your oxfam for you for your clean water supplies Yeah. They're they're very good at doing it and they know what to do and they understand the assessments. And if you're with them, you're right, their their ability to keep you as safe as possible is enhanced as well. So I'm not saying it's always a bad thing to go out yourself and do something, but I think you have to work question why you're doing it um, and will you do it, it will what will if what you're doing be of real benefit to yes. the target population? Or are you better targeting it to one of the most sophisticated organizations mm-hmm. who have already got specific targets and what they're trying to achieve? And have done it multiple times before. I think it's a really good point. And it's, I think it, you read any papers on supplying aid to, to disaster zones, it will always be about that. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. phrase is disaster tourism that they want mm-hmm. to try and um, t- deflect people away from. And i yeah. say i'm not I'm not going to say that's always bad there, there will be circumstances where it will have done some good, but I think you need to you're right you, your assessment of why you're doing it and then how how you're going to do it is is going to be super important, so you actually make that positive difference, isn't it indeed
2: yes yeah. so is yeah. what you're doing are you are you an asset or are you actually a liability despite yeah. your despite your intentions
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, and, and absolutely. And it certainly shouldn't be about us gathering our stories, shouldn't it? it should, the, I think the agenda is always, how can I improve the situation? And yes. you, you need to give yourself an honest answer to, to how you can do that, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think we, we certainly agreed on that one. <laughs> yeah. No, and and it, it's fascinating. Um, For any of our listeners that are interested in it, there are so many good books on, on this area. Aid is it's an around. incredibly well-researched area. Um, and it's an incredibly refined area as well, so it's worth reading around if you're interested. Yeah. I think you it's it's a it's a subject in itself that needs to be studied so you understand what you're trying to do. Uh, yeah, I I suppose,
2: say, yeah, I suppose I mean, in terms of, I mean, it, it's
1: much closer to austere
2: medicine than um, you know the the exciting tactical hostile medicines that yeah. uh, that, that delivering primary healthcare with with limited resources. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it, it's a fascinating um, mm-hmm. area of study, and it and to be able to deliver it. You
1: know, yeah, it's, it's commendable. Yeah. And then I mean we're off on a slightly different tangent, um, although very relevant. You then have to make sure the medicine you take fits with society that you're treating. Uh, because oh, yeah, it's yeah. I mean that's uh, a that, huge that's, subject in itself. It's messed, yeah. It? yeah, yeah. But one, it has to be understood, or you, you really can do damage. Um
2: and get yourself in trouble as well. Yeah, so yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 So it's it's this there's, there's certainly complex layers to doing it correctly. And which is fine, but you, I think you have to understand them. And I think what you're bringing out from your experience is that it's no different supplying aid to Ukraine. You have to go through this process of preparation and understanding okay. what you're doing and then going out with an organization, as you say, it has done due diligence, mm-hmm. you know, so you can get through those checkpoints make sure you, you're within a safe umbrella of that organization or as safe as it can be isn't it no no that's really um really fantastic feedback and uh, and i think super, super relevant to, to to some of the points where we're trying to bring out um so so just looking at just just trying to summarize a little bit of some of the things that that we've we've talked about this evening it, It's like sort of two key points you could bring out from your experience that our listeners could take away and just use as little anchors to possibly improve either their research going forward or their ability to deploy. What would be the two key points you think with the areas that you've picked up from, 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 your, from your journey?
2: Uh, I would say the first point is to remember that you are the most important person. And so, you know, we drill this in when we're talking about scene safety, approaching an accident, and you, you know, you, you are responding to things, and then we drill in, you know, you are the most important person. You know, it's their emergency, don't make it your emergency. And the same is true when you're providing uh, medical cover you know, to, to a large group of people. Um, and so, morale is fundamentally important, uh, everyone else's and your own. You know, we prepare for witnessing disturbing events. Um, and when we pack our kit commensurately for that but boredom can be uh you know utterly desperate eating the same food that you don't particularly like every day for breakfast lunch and dinner can be desperate um so i would strongly recommend uh think about your creature comforts i know that could be you know food it could be you know, a nice pair of socks, your own pillowcase, music, stuff like that, um, to make your life more bearable. So morale is one. Um, The other one is is a bigger topic. And I would ask people to think about how can they add value, if that makes sense. Mm. So every space on, on a project like this is taking a seat that could have been used by someone else. So each person who goes on this sort of deployment They've got a cost attributed to them. So, you know, whether you're self-funding or an organisation is sponsoring uh, your place, there there is a cost that has been paid for. And, you know, people need to be fed and watered and moving people costs money. So ask yourself, how can I add value? It's perfectly allowed to be the medic and sit there and wait for an incident to occur. And if you've done a thorough risk assessment and successfully mitigated those hazards, hopefully nothing should happen. So your entire experience is set ready to go with a of med bag just drinking tea and that could be your entire experience. and that's fine you know that's allowed so but it is 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 your place there actually adding value if nothing's gone wrong so i think about how you could cont more so you're not just a passenger so for example um Our risk profile was very low, there were large numbers involved, but the hazards were minor. So one thing um, I did was a pre-departure health questionnaire. So this was an opportunity to identify one's medical history, um, their existing medical conditions, and what medication they're on. Because it's much better to find out something before it happens than when it happens. So if you've got a casualty um, who's, ble- who's bleeding and it just won't stop, you'd much rather know that they're taking warfarin or heparin beforehand than wonder why it just isn't stopping. Or to know someone's allergies before they go unconscious. So that's the overt reason that we do pre-deployment health questionnaires, but it's also an opportunity to have that face-to-face chat with every single member of the team to allow them to ask any questions and hopefully alleviate any concerns. So medical questionnaires, they add value. You're actually adding value to the project before you've left. Um, things like welfare checks, uh, in, in constructions, we use the term you "no know, toolbox talk, these these, these short five-minute um, discussions about a particular safety um, aspect. Well, we most, spent most of the time in a vehicle, so we were, we were rarely together as a collective, and when we were, it was usually up early, having breakfast and getting our kit packed away, or arriving late, eating dinner, and then setting up our kit for the night. So neither of those times were particularly convenient to have a, a friendly conversation about first aid, and I think that would have gone down well. So we communicated largely through WhatsApp, and each day I would post about a topic relevant to the trip. So I did a, a, a post within the group chat about aches and pains and the importance of coming forward with little things before leaving them to become big things. Personal hygiene, doing wee and poo checks on yourself, um, food and hydration, mobility and stretching, mental resilience, um, post-deployment blues, this, this phenomena of depression that participants often feel after an expedition or deployment when they return to their normal lives. So in summary, if you've done everything right, you shouldn't actually be that busy as the medic. So think about how can you add value to the project? How do you make your seat you are occupying worth it? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that, that makes so much sense. and I can and absolutely relate to what, what you're saying. Um, and, and I think that's a question that, that can have many answers to it, depending on where you're going. Yeah, um indeed but and, and, and but i think the key to that is that every time you you are volunteering deploying um it is a question you should ask yourself isn't it you know what well, because the you, you're right you are taking your seat and you've got to you've got to maximize that seat isn't it yeah. so and the dynamics will consistently change and you might answer that question the answer to that question might change halfway through the, the journey as well um, so I think it's, it's it's a dynamic question as well, isn't it, that you should yeah, be asking yourself?
2: Yeah, because yeah. you're only medicing
1: when someone's injured or ill. And yeah.
2: hopefully it's going to be something minor. Mm. Um, and, you know, I say you can just sit there, you know, with your medic bag, mm-hmm. being the medic, just drinking tea, because mm. that is your job. Yeah. But, you know, you can also do housekeeping you can also be the, the group therapist you know mm. you can you know you can also drive you know if the insurance allows for it and things like yeah.
1: that And 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 i think what i've picked up on in, in deployments not 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 the same as what you're doing but but similar is that if you if you add value outside your medical trade you're accepted more as a medic anyway so it's a bit of a win-win <laughs> yeah
2: yeah yeah. And if, if, yeah if you're proud to get your hands dirty
1: yeah, you know, that, yeah,
2: that sends yeah. a message. Yeah. they're The medic, if anyone needs to be approachable, it mm. needs to be them. You want people to come forward with these embarrassing issues mm. or things that they think are trivial. So, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, the other area I thought you brought out on your points was, was really interesting. And that's something I think is really important to cover for people who may be entering um, the, the area of providing remote care or, or, or remote medicine is boredom. Um, every perceived um, high risk event I've ever been on, whether it's wars, big expeditions, journeys, whatever it is, has got a huge amount of boredom involved and waiting around or doing doing tedious things repeatedly day after day. Um, boredom is massive. And you're right, if, if you don't deal with boredom correctly, I, I think it'll have a major problem on morale and actually cause people to become quite lethargic. Um, yeah, I'd not, agree with that. Yeah. Hmm. And and
2: the interesting thing about emotions is that they are contagious. So you know, one person who's who's ill um, and and just isn't sleeping well because they've got this rash and that's keeping them up all night. And when you're living in close proximity. And you know, you've got all these people you know, crammed into a small confined space uh, with beds next to each other. You know, one person who is ill and unhappy about it will affect the mood of everyone else. And, and that can become endemic. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> you, know, you need to be prepared to wear many hats. And that might even be, you know, the, 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 the role of morale officer.
1: Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think individually, how do you deal with your own boredom? It's okay to be bored for a little bit. But if you if you're going to be bored over a six week period for a long, you know, substantial periods of time, I think yes. it will affect how, how you perform. So yeah. what what I, I think considering what are your tactics to deal with it are you taking some sort of study with you are you taking the right book have you got your music have you got your downloads um ca- can you set up social interactions um yeah. it's, i think it's a very important thing and
2: it is i think that's a topic for another um podcast itself because it is a big thing and there are mm-hmm. things that you know can be done
1: yeah yeah and i think pre-warned you, you can do things about it um, yes, indeed. Yeah. But if you find yourself in the middle of long periods of boredom, then intense activity, maybe it affects that. I don't know. I mean, I'm speculating there, mm-hmm. but it's an. It's a, I think it's an interesting area to to bring up, and 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 for people who are going into this area who may be you know new to the experiences, I think they should certainly think about how they would combat boredom. Combat boredom because it will it will be something they come across. Uh, which is a very important point No, that, that they're excellent points and I should say you are the most important person you've got to take care of yourself you've got to look after yourself um I think that's that's important um I think you've brought some excellent points out there just um just to finish this evening um this is um this is a question we ask everybody who comes on to TSG talk um and it's always fascinating, the answers that, that we get, and, and certainly no right or wrong answer. But if we were to, if you were to take one piece of medical equipment anywhere with, in the world, um, regardless of where you're going, what what, what would it be? That, Colin, for me
2: would be uh, a pair of cheap £2.50 uh, EMS Tough Cut Shears.
1: Tough Cut Shears, right. That's, that's a new one. Any, any particular reason? or?
2: Well, I'm glad you've asked me that question, Colin, because there is. Um, So (laughs) another question. One item you take anywhere regardless of, of, of where you're going well some things are industry specific or you know so whether you need tourniquets or bottle doctrine or DFib, i wouldn't always carry those with me everywhere i went but i'll always take scissors and this is my rationale so if we work our way through the accident procedure you know whether you can use dr abc or march so in terms of managing the danger i don't need any kit to manage danger you just need you know, eyes, ears, and a safe pair of hands. Um, but I might need to access the casualty, and that might mean cutting through webbing harnesses or seat belts. Um, if they're trauma casualty, I'll want to strip them down, and I want to be able to cut through clothing. But I don't need any, any other kit to manage danger. Went on to checking their response. Don't need any kit for that. That's easy. Managing the airway. So it would be great to have a selection of airway adjuncts, you know, oral, nasal, and. Superglottic and whatnot, but you still have to open the airway first, and a head tilt chin lift will almost always work. And if I want to clear the airway, postural drainage, just getting them over on the side, will always clear an airway quicker and easier and more efficaciously than suction. So I don't actually need any kit to manage an airway. It's nice, but I don't need it. Uh, B for breathing or R for respirations, oxygen would be great, BVM is great, um, but good quality CPR will help. You know, oxygen is additional, but on its own, good quality CPL will help. And if they're, to be honest, if they're that far from help, you know, even a defib is going to have a limited success. Um, circulation, bleeding, almost all serious bleeding wounds will stop with direct pressure. Now, it's nice to have wound packing material, but if I've got scissors, then I've got as much of that as I want because I'll use their clothing. And if I'm going somewhere where I need a tourniquet, then I will have a tourniquet. But I won't always carry on with me. But if mm-hmm. I've got scissors, I'll use their clothing to improvise um, a decent tourniquet, damage you know, uh, other injuries. I've got. I'm going to use the scissors with their clothing to make slings and stabilize injuries. Um, so yeah, scissors. I can improvise an awful lot, and some stuff is additional; it's not essential. But one thing I can't improvise is cutting stuff. Okay, so that would that, be my right. Idea
1: that's a very good answer and very well rationalized as well <laughs> <laughs> fantastic so just just to really uh, i suppose conclude from what you were saying what 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 i've picked up from this evening is that um if you're going to be involved in it, in some form of giving aids whether you're actually transiting to to the location uh, whether it's the front end or where it's where it's maybe you know slightly back where there's a there's, there's more population population displacement or you you're just even donating. It's a very professional um or it's a very professional thing to do, isn't it? Um it's highly organized um and you need good preparation if you're going to do it. So from all the points, if you're going to donate money, you need to make sure that money's going to the right place. Yes. If you're going to deploy, you've got to under you've got to be in the right organizations, delivering the right kit that will make the difference. It's a sophisticated thing to do.
2: Yeah, and, it is, and and it isn't. It isn't like that to preclude certain people from going. You know, there's a, it's like that to maximise everyone's contribution, whether our contribution is time, equipment, or effort. Um, that's really why it's there. You know, not it's not there as a barrier to prevent people from getting stuck in. It's, I suppose, really about maximising what everyone can contribute.
1: Yeah, so I think what I got from that is you have to be, you have to go, and undertake this stuff with a higher level of professionalism and if you do that you'll probably get the right outcomes i think that's yeah. probably where, where what i'm picking up from what you're yeah, saying i
2: would agree
1: with that yeah and and i think the other thing i picked up from what you said as well um the big point i was that you have to add value to the team that you're with and 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 the whole uh, the whole task of what you you're trying to achieve you need to be added value all times and and be yes. con- and always be considering how you're doing that yes. um you know, because we're there to maximize effect, and i think I think that's a good word for anybody to consider value what is your value to this team and are, are mm. you maximizing it? I think if you took that i'm 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 certainly going to take that one away um uh, and and see you know and consider some of the places i've I I've got to do some work in in general life um but I think Same. those are yeah, yeah <laughs> I think that's that those are two excellent points so so look Adam, it's been absolutely um wonderful to talk to you tonight it's um Thank you so much for the work that you did with the the aid that you took to Ukraine and 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 the help that you've given. Um, you know, I'm sure it's done done a, done a wonderful job, and and we've really enjoyed talking with you tonight and and just learning all the ins and outs uh, about what works, what doesn't, and really the non sexy stuff as well, which is generally what happens, isn't it? That is which what happens. which, which yeah. has been which, which has been interesting. So. That really concludes our our TSG talk for tonight. Um, If you would like to ask any questions on any of the subjects raised on the pod tonight, um, please go to our our website at tsgassociates.co.uk or or go to the LinkedIn page. There was quite a lot of organizations at Adam mentioned earlier on as well we'll uh, we'll put some links up for those as well when the pod goes live so if you are interested that that will give you some points of contact as well but once again Adam Luke it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you tonight um, and hopefully you. thank you thank, thank you very you so much.
2: much for having me on
1: no absolute pleasure I'm sure we've already picked up on a couple more subjects we can talk about in the future and and obviously if you do go on any aid missions again obviously keep yourself safe and we, we wish you all the best
2: oh, I will do thank you Colin
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this edition of TSG Talk. We hope you found the content of benefit. Should you have any questions or require additional information, please visit tsgassociates.co.uk.